What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And in today's episode, we're going to learn that if you don't restructure your talent teams to meet your strategic initiatives, you're creating a recipe for disaster. In fact, you can't even begin to consider building a high-performance team without taking this step. Let me give you a little bit of background on the person that's going to guide us through that conversation, 30-year veteran of HR, 20 years in HR leadership, featured in Who's Who in America's Top Execs, Inc. Magazine as a top HR business leader. She's been featured in Vision Magazine. She's a top 10 influential business leader and now currently the vice president of HR for Boston University. Phew, I, I left out a bunch of stuff, I'm pretty sure, but I got that in one breath. I want to welcome... Amanda Bailey to the show. Thank you, Jam. It's a great pleasure to be here. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Before we get into the topic of the conversation, can you share with the audience a little bit more about your background and story that you feel is important that's going to allow for some context heading into the conversation? Absolutely. And thank you for that. And thank you for this opportunity. As you mentioned, I've been in HR a long time now. And I'm one of fewer, I'd say, HR professionals, as each year goes by, who's remained in HR from an individual contributor role and been very fortunate to advance, learn new skills and experiences and advance in the HR profession. And I think that's a really key piece about my background that will inform our discussion today and share a little bit about my confidence in what I really have felt works. And I've been very fortunate to lead teams of other HR professionals who have seen that vision and really adapted to it and aligned to it. And we've seen great success from it. So I've certainly been one of those up and coming HR folks, and I'm thrilled to be with you today to share a little bit about what we've learned along the way and the results from that. So I appreciate uh, that context. And I know that we're going to talk about a different topic in, in just a second, but your trajectory from individual contributor to senior and executive level HR leadership is really interesting. And I'd like for you to share a little bit of wisdom from your first transition from individual contributor to people leader. What was the big realization that you had at that time frame that really helped you accelerate to the later stages in your career? Yeah, I think for me, what I wanted to do as individual contributor in those roles was learn as much as I could and collaborate with other colleagues whom I could learn about, learn their functions, and learn other things about. My first uh, real position wasn't the linear expectation of uh, manager, senior manager, director, senior director, et cetera. It was actually by function. And so I moved into more individual contributor role with indirect responsibilities, both to managers and employees. So I went from supervising or leading in an individual contributor role to more responsibilities that got added to my uh, HR position. And from there, moved on to manage one location, multiple location, 
multiple states and then from multiple states working uh, with more and more senior teams as I moved forward. That made it much easier for me to have the great benefit of observing uh, presence, cadence, information, uh, and the value of information, the value of relationships, and understanding data around HR in a way that when presenting HR data and presenting HR period, how influential the data becomes. And so that had been uh, a little bit of a different path, I'd say, not the usual treaded path, but it did allow me great experience and great bandwidth of understanding how to lead, lead very large teams. If I'm taking what you just said and putting it on a bumper sticker, I think the advice, or at least that bumper sticker would read, don't think of your career as a ladder, think of it as a lattice. Hopefully I'm on the mark there. Absolutely on the mark. And I'm glad you said it. That's right. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation. And that is about building high-performance teams, and specifically, what was the game-changing realization that you had that really shifted your thinking and your ability in terms of how you build a high-performance team? I think that a few consistent things I've learned along the way is regardless of the culture of the organization, it is what it is when you walk into it as an HR leader. And our goal in trying to manage change throughout an organization hinges on how we steward the culture towards that change. Building a high-performing team then is about the values that are evident within the leadership at the time of uh, the HR organization, at the time you arrive, at the time you're starting to lead, if you've already been in the organization. At that inception point, we have to make an assessment. It's really important to make an assessment on what are the values of that leadership team? What's their constitution to change? What's their constitution to listen and lead from a servant leader perspective? And the other competencies that we know are hallmark tenets and principles of great leadership. One, that's really important. The second piece is doing that listening tour, what I like to call listening tour, and really understanding within the organization what is creating the most problematic experience for employees and for supervisors. If we don't understand that, we are, as sometimes HR is left to do, shooting in the dark and marginalized to be very suspect about what could actually bring tangible and productive change for employees and for the workforce. And so for me, coming into any team, I've always tried to figure out what am I learning? What's the culture of the HR organization and what needs to stay and it's best and it's a best practice? What needs to go and uh, have really candid conversations with the HR leaders? My experience tells me most, you know, 90%, 99%, I'm very confident with our profession of most HR professionals are waiting to get a plan. And they're waiting for their leader to have a vision to help them get there. There's a lot that you said there that I think is really valuable. And even in that segment, I caught a quick framework that we could apply when we're talking to the broader HR community. And here's what I gathered from your conversation. When you walk in, deal with things as it is versus how you wish it to be. Next, deeply understand and align on values across the entire organization. So your values, the organization's values, and then align everybody on the team to that. Next, so step three is listen first and then change next. So if we're talking about a simple framework, even in that entry stage, that right there is gold. Is there anything else that you would change about what I just described? I think that framework is exactly right. And I appreciate very much the sequence by which you've articulated each of those steps, pillars, if you will, because the, the one thing, if, if there is anything to add, the one thing I would say is time tends to not be on your side and you can't really think of it in that way. Although all of us desire to be agile, 
what I have learned painfully, because sometimes I don't have patience to be as slow as it needs to be, but everybody has to learn and be patient with learning the skills, the culture, the values, both of an organization and of the leadership in HR to make those changes happen. Once the leadership and alignment exists, change goes so quickly. And I know it works because in my current role, I've been here almost two years, just about a couple of days shy of two years, actually. And the amount of work and production and productivity that my colleagues have seen across our very vast and wide community has been very obvious to me in their feedback, in their compliments, in their accolades of our leadership team, the teams we've built, and the work we've produced in just 24 months. So there is time that's necessary. It's not a lot of time, but make sure each of the pillars you outlined, Jim, in the framework are informed by what are the cultural stakes, where are table stakes, and what is the time that's going to be necessary to have the conversations with key constituents across the community? And what are the conversations that need to happen with your HR leaders so that you can bridge the gap on what needs to be better aligned in order to execute change. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now, back to the show. Even in that, there's a lot that we can peel back. And I'm, I'm annoyed that we only have a short amount of time to get through all of this. But you mentioned gaining alignment and you also mentioned limited time. And oftentimes when there's a, an urgency to demonstrate results or at least show impact, people almost automatically shoot for a technology solution. And I personally think that's a mistake. When you're looking at gaining alignment, and mm -hmm. when you're looking at limited time, right. that often also in HR means limited budget. So how do you do all three of those things yeah. and gain alignment so you can drive change? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll just say it makes two of us. I, I too do not think it is prudent for any HR professional to take the uh, risk of not being informed by executing quickly and going through the very research-informed process of what technology can do. I think it's great that we all know that the HR tech market has exponentially grown. What we don't do enough of that I've learned the hard way and seen the value of is to make sure we understand what is it we're really trying to get as an outcome. The hard strategy is understanding, does that outcome produce an experience for a new employee or an employee who's already been here, a veteran employee? Does it produce a successful experience? Experiences change and evolve. And with that, technology solutions have to be informed by those experiences and our desire of what we want to create. If we don't do that, then it's exactly why, Jim, you and I and other colleagues have reticent about adding the technology solution. It will do nothing more for you if you can't tell it what to do. And that's an important piece. Let's tie this all back to what we opened the conversation with. Again, I think you and I can agree that if you're leading with a technology first solve to whatever problem you're facing, you're probably going to make it a bigger problem. Let's tie it back to that talent realignment conversation that we opened the show with. When you're looking at solving these problems, 
We talked about aligning across vision. We talked about listening. We talked about acting. What other things from a talent alignment perspective should we be considering when we're looking at making change quickly and making meaningful changes in terms of the outcomes that we're trying to drive? I'm really grateful that you asked about it specifically towards talent. We know that globally, nationally, there is a need to upgrade the skill sets of our existing workforce. That is not an unknown. What is also not known is we have to start figuring out where our workforce in progressing their skills, where are the appropriate roles that they can develop, and with the social norms of hybrid work and other mental health pieces that need to be in place, even if it's not a hybrid workplace, how do we figure that out? All of that has to inform the talent strategy. And what I particularly found useful is that as we talk about culture, norms, and values, Every talent strategy is going to be modified according to that organization, where they are in their culture, where they are in the maturity of understanding talent strategies, where they are in their resources. And oftentimes, HR doesn't have a lot of resources. So it's really important that we get it right in terms of whatever the resources are that we do get, whether they're indirect or direct, financial, people, other uh, technology resources. We need to really be judicious about how we deploy them. And that deployment hinges on what we've learned are the pain points. For example, when I joined BU, I took probably the first 120 days to make sure I understood very key questions around talent. What was the experience of the employee coming in new? What was the experience of the hiring manager, both from HR, my office's responsibilities, the responsibilities of their unit, and where were the gaps in those experiences that they wanted to see made differently? And here, when I say this, be prepared, in my opinion, that those conversations, the more informal and organic they are, the better information you get. So I don't treat those conversations in a formal way, and I don't think they should be. I think if it's Amanda, as I did here, I don't need processes in my way. What I need is to go find highly qualified applicants. And what I would love is for your office to help me find diverse professionals to fill some of our roles, which we don't get enough of. It was very simple. It was simple from their point of view. And, and that's a very good thing because in their minds, they're leaving it to us to figure out the complication. They just want to simply tell us, here's my experience. And so informed one by one, I met with over 120 uh, constituents in my first 60 days. So lots of meetings, but that was super important to get their feedback, distill it down to key themes, and then be informed by what I could do to solve that. And what we learned here at BU was that we needed to restructure the talent model that would allow us to go find diverse applicants. And so we had internal recruiters that would allow us to increase efficiency in the cycle time. Once you identify the candidate and get to an offer, all of the um, administrative procedures that go along with that needed to be improved. And then the final piece was a new piece. When we learned that the experience for new hires was very disjointed from the culture of our community and what we needed to really make different in their experience, we decided to create an onboarding team. And all three of those sub-teams now comprise the talent recruitment services model. And we've seen tremendous benefits from that. Our cycle time was about 55 days, from starting from the time a hiring manager had a need and advertised a position to the time that somebody was sitting in the seat. And within our first quarter for just all new jobs alone, we saw a 13-day cycle time. So significant improvement. And overall, for jobs that even had been out on the market for some time, whether due to specialized skills or some other influence, uh, it's dropped from 55 to 36 days. And so I think that efficiency could never have been accomplished without understanding with clarity what the pain points were 
and responding to that. Even in that explanation, we could probably build out another another really strong framework. But there's one aspect of it that I really liked that you mentioned, which was you went on this deep listening motion internally to the organization. I think you referenced 120 days. My question is this. Oftentimes, that's that's a great first practice. Before you start doing anything, you should probably take the time to listen and understand uh, as deeply as possible. Here's the pitfall that I've seen pop up in with folks that I've talked to that can sometimes lead us to a scenario where we've gotten so many different data points that we're stuck on what to act on first. How do we avoid being in paralysis mode and instead shift into action quickly? You're absolutely right. The, the desire to remain uh, on the margins of analysis paralysis is going to nag. And it all, often nags at me because I, I absolutely want to be, oh, I could fix this tomorrow. This is low-hanging fruit. Let me get this done. And the managers I'm talking to oftentimes feel that this is pretty simple. And you're coming to me. They don't know that I'm coming to over 100 colleagues. They know that I'm talking to them. And in their minds too, this is pretty easy to fix. You're new here. Can you get this done? And I often have to share with folks for me to make sure it is a sustainable level of change, I've got to make sure I understand what I have in terms of resources, what I need to make sure leaders understand what the problems are. And based on the resources that I need, together, that determines what the prioritization is. If we don't do that, we run into an alignment of prioritization challenges. Oftentimes, we receive commitment for resources, go through the administrative procedures to get them, and we don't get them. And learning from that, I have understood that it's really important to cascade the prioritization to resources needed, and the priority cannot be achieved without them, down the spectrum to prioritization of X activities that don't need any resources, but need maybe alignment, values that maybe need a restructure of improvement to administrative procedures and all the resources and contributing factors are already existent. So from a spectrum of that level where everything else is evident to make the problem go away and fix it all the way up to if I had X amount of dollars or X amount of people or X amount of services that I could tap into, I could make this problem go away. That is critically important, both for the confidence of the HR organization to feel like they are not always at the doorstep, knocking on the door to get in and build credibility. Really great stuff, Amanda. Before we sign off, we focused a lot of the conversation on around aligning your talent teams to achieving your strategic initiatives and making an impact. So if we're taking all of the stuff that we talked about and putting together, uh, putting it together in a consumable framework, mm. what would be the best practices that you would recommend other HR leaders and practitioners take from this conversation that we just had? Very quickly, I think I would say, listen long and listen always as your first posture. Following your listening, learn what are the, priori the priorities for the HR organization from a service delivery model. If we consider, us, consider ourselves business partners, and we do, then we have to think of our services as a service delivery model. One that starts with consultation. So where can we get the biggest improvement with the expertise we bring in cons consulting on different situations? What resources would we need and then how do we go about building a timeline and plan informed by the culture of the HR organization? How do we build out a timeline and a plan informed by that HR culture in order to execute on those priorities? Last thing before we close down, where can people find you? 
So I can be located at hrvp at bu.edu on any given day. And I'm certainly very active on LinkedIn, our go-to source, or any of the education institutions in and around the Boston area. You can certainly see me at an event for sure. Thank you for hanging out with us, Amanda. Here's what I took away from the conversation. So if we're talking about frameworks and we built on these throughout the conversation, for HR leaders and practitioners who are looking to maximize the impact that they're going to make with any initiatives that they have, you need to first accept the environment for what it is. Don't try to immediately come in and change it without actually understanding the environment. You need to align everybody within the organization to the values, both personally and professionally across the organization. You need to listen deeply, you need to act quickly, and you need to focus on outcomes. That seems simple, but it's a lot harder in practice as everybody uh, can attest to. So for those of you who have joined us uh, for this conversation, if you've liked what you've heard, leave us a review and tell a friend and tune in next time when we will have another great practitioner talking to us and sharing with us the game-changing experience that helped them create a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.